This is recording number 10993 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 17, 2012. This is the fifth message in a study of the Bible's Book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Diligence. Have you ever started uh, to pursue a trade or a, uh, a hobby and given up on it along the way? Yes. <laughs> I have, um, I don't even know if anybody knows what racquetball is anymore, but uh, back, in the, back in the 80s, yes, I'm that old, uh, back in the 80s, it was kind of a big deal. I guess some people still play it. I won't tell you. I won't explain it to you what it is. But anyway, there used to be racket clubs, racket ball clubs all over the place. And you would, uh, you know, you, you go there to play this game. And uh, I had, I, a guy asked me to go play with him one time. I'd never played in my life. I had no idea what this game was even about. So he hooked me up with a racket and... Uh, you know, I, I owned some shorts, so I had my shorts on. Went to the racquetball club. And uh, if you've ever, you know, well, I guess you have, probably haven't ever been. But if you, if you can imagine, when you go into the racquetball club, they have these, um, a whole series of these little rooms that have walls that, around them. Two guys or four guys go in there, and you, or girls, and you, you try to, you know hit this little ball against the wall and score points on, on your, your opponent. Uh, it's mostly a private game. But when you go in, all these clubs, they had one court that was glass and bleachers, you know. And you, people come in and just sit and watch the pros play. So this is my very first time. Never played this game before. Never held a racket, ball racket in my hand. They put me in that court. And it was the most humiliating thing I've ever, I think I've ever experienced because I had no idea what the heck I was doing. And these people are just sitting there watching, laughing. And I, at least I was good for some ent- entertainment. But it, it caused me to say, well, wait a minute. I have, I can't, th- this can't stand. I've got to get better at this. So I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the best racquetball player in the world. I'm going to come down here. I'm gonna, I joined that club. I was going to be there at 6 o'clock every morning, and I'm going to learn how to play this stinking game and get good at it. So just about the time that I'm thinking, really, I've got this now. Put me in the glass. I'm okay. And uh, so a friend of mine that I'd never played against, uh, I was, I was uh, attending a conference. We were in another city. We happened to be there together. He said, hey, let's sneak away this afternoon. Let's go play some racquetball. And I said, all right. <laughs> Time to show my stuff. <laughs> so we uh, we went to the racquetball, you know, a racquetball club nearby, and and uh, got on the court, and the guy just beat the pants off me. Oh, it was horrible. And I never played again after that. I said, "This is if this is the best I can do after all this practice. No way, I'm going to submit myself to this humiliation anymore." And I look, I've got a line of stuff like that in my life that I've started and stopped, you know, things that I was going to do and, 
and, you know, hobbies I started and didn't finish and all that kind of stuff. And the reason I'm telling you this little story is because, uh, or told this little story, is because sometimes when it comes to our pursuit of Christ, we can um, stop being tenacious about it. Stop being diligent about it. And dear ones, that's a huge mistake. And so as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, we're coming to the end of chapter 5, beginning of verse 11, and we're going to make our way through, through chapter 6, verse 12. And yes, I know we don't have a lot of time left today, so we'll move through this pretty quickly because I think you'll get the point. But we're going to be talking about how the new and living way that Hebrews chapter 10 tells us is what this book is about. The new and living way is the way of diligence. The way of diligence. Chapter 5 verse 11 says, and this is, some of you will remember from last week we were talking about how uh, most of chapter 5 is, tells us how Jesus is a, our high priest and a priest after a different order, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so that's where verse 10 ends. Then verse 11 says, of whom, of this high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the, a, a priest of a different order, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And, and the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you know, there, this is such a, an important, powerful truth and I would really like to go further with it, but I can't because you've become sluggish. The word, that's what that word dull in the original means, sluggish or lazy of hearing, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. And listen, when, when it uses this term, you, you, or these, this phrase, you ought to be teachers, he's talking about all of us. Now not all of us are going to stand up here and do what I do on Sunday mornings and do sort of a lecture style teaching thing or a, some sort of um, official or uh, formalized instruction in Christian theology or biblical truth or that kind of thing. But all of us, all of us have been called to pass on what we're learning about Jesus. And that's teaching. Whether it's to your wife, to your, to your uh, kids, to your neighbor, to your workmates, whatever it is, we've been called to pass on what God has been instructing us to. And he says, you guys all ought to have been teachers. But you, <clears throat> but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the word of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. He's talking about, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll make a distinction here between the, the basic, the foundational truths of our faith that he describes as milk for a babe. When a, when a child comes into this world, they're not ready for for steak and potatoes. They're, they have to begin their life with milk, but they move on from there. You know? It would be, we would consider it abnormal for an adult like me to have a milk diet. And yet, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians proceed through their Christian life, and there's a lot of reasons for it. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just noting what, what, 
the writer of the book of Hebrews is noting that for many Christians, they're satisfied with a life because, we, you know, a, a, a child, a baby, cannot deal with digestively or just even, even uh, um, uh, chewing a steak. But an adult who has all the capabilities of dealing with steak can still desire milk. And that's what Paul is dealing with. Or that's, I, I slipped up right there. I think Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews, but we really don't know, so forget what I just said. The writer of the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> he's saying that a lot of you are choosing, choosing, a milk diet instead of moving on to the meatier things that the Lord would like for, for you to participate in or to know, to partake of. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled or inexperienced is what that means in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are, who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or to maturity. That's what that means. Not laying again the foundation. And then he goes on to talk about some of the foundational truths that you know we've already laid, he said. We don't need to go back over these foundational truths. Not that they're not important, but we've got to move on from here. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit or sharers, it's a noun is what that, that word means, sharers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and have fallen. Or it says if they have fallen away, but it really is better translated and have fallen away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars it's rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the, until the end. That you do not become sluggish. And that's the same word he began with in verse 11. Dull of hearing. That you, that you do not become dull of hearing. Sluggish. Lazy. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's move the, through this quickly. And I, I am uh, just going to recognize up front that I'm not going to deal with this passage in, in an exhaustive way. But I do want you to see some things. First of all, that there's a problem. And Paul talks about this problem as being threefold. One, that these people that he's addressing, the, 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 the Hebrew believers that he's addressing, are inattentive. They're dull of hearing. They, they've become lazy about what they're 
intake, their Bible, their Word of God intake is. And look, if we want to be people who walk the way of diligence, who, who pursue Christ, then dear ones, we need to be people who keep our ears open to the, to the Word of God. Someone asked me earlier this week, what is your, what is your personal devotional life look like, Pastor? And I, I told him up front, I said, you know what, it doesn't really matter what mine looks like, but I'm going to tell you. But it doesn't really matter, what, there is no prescription. But this is, this is true for every one of us, dear one. We have to have a diet of the word of God that is sustained. If we're going to be the people of God we want to be, we can't, there's not enough nutrition for that long journey, that fruitful journey in just the milk. We need more than that. Dear ones, I encourage each of you to find a way that suits your life and your lifestyle to keep your nose in the book. Feed on the word of God. He says that Another part of the problem is that they are unskillful or unskilled or, or uh, inexperienced. You know, there's a lot of, of us who know a lot of stuff about the Bible. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing. But it needs to, if it's going to be what the Lord wants it to be in our lives, it has to move from the realm of knowing to the realm of experience, to applying, to living it. And, and that's what the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying here. He said when, when, they're, when he talks about them being unskilled in verse uh, 13 of chapter 5. He's saying what you do know. The milk that you have um, drunk of the word of God. You're not applying. You're not living it. The, other, the third aspect of the problem that the writer of the book of Hebrews is laying out for us here is that they were inactive. Not only were they not paying attention any longer to the word of God in the ways that they, that they, that, that they needed to, not only were they not applying the things that they knew of the word of God, but it says in verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that means activity. It's me ongoingly living out what we are um, experiencing of the word of God. This is the problem. And then he describes for us in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 6 the peril of not being diligent in our faith. And I want to acknowledge something before I dig into these few verses for just a moment. There's a, a Bible commentator, a, theo, a theologian that he, he's, he's been dead now since the 1980s, late 1980s, I think. A guy named J. Vernon McGee. I have among my commentaries, I have his uh, set of his commentaries on the Bible. He said this about this past, passage that we're about to look at right now. He said, this chapter by all odds, contains the most difficult passage in the Bible for an interpreter to handle. 
regardless of his theological position. Every reverent person who has come to this section with, uh, has come to this section with awe and wonder, and every sincere expositor has come to this passage with a sense of inadequacy, and certainly that is the way I approach it. Another great, uh, well-known Bible commentary, uh, commentator and theologian, a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, just skipped this chapter. And he's not alone. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I'm not going to stand up here today and say I've got this down. Because I don't. That doesn't mean I don't have strong beliefs about what we're about to read. I do. It doesn't mean that I don't hold those things tightly. I do. But what I'm not going to do is get into a, uh, a theological debate about this. Because there's, I don't think there's any winning that. Because what we see in these verses is disturbing. By any measure. It talks about people who cannot come to repentance. That they've crossed the line where there's no repentance. Now you can say that that has to do uh, with um, people who were never saved in the first place. You can say that these, this has to do with um, you know, reward in heaven. Uh, you, you, you can go a lot of different uh, directions with this, but for me, it's pretty clear that, that Paul is addressing believers. He's addressing babes, not unconverted. People who are babes. People who have come to the Lord. In my opinion, he's addressing people who, who are uh, believers because it says they share in the Holy Spirit. They're sharers in the Holy Spirit. And nobody wants to think about whatever your, your position on this. Nobody wants to think about anybody being in a place that this passage describes. I need to say up front that I do not believe, having said what I just said, that, um, that we are insecure. Those of us who, who have come to faith in Christ and, and are followers of him, that we are somehow insecure or need to feel as though we are insecure in our salvation. I do not believe that. The Lord Jesus Christ has clearly made it uh, plain that he is able to keep us and to keep us saved. But there is something here in this passage, a strong warning that we need to pay some attention to. And I think it falls into three things that I just want to sound the alarm about. If you start to walk down this path where you stop being diligent about your pursuit of God. You're headed for trouble. There is no way to just sort of coast because what will happen, dear one, I believe, is that if you just decide to ride this thing on into heaven in neutral, you become vulnerable. You become severely vulnerable to the deceptions of the adversary because you lose sight of the of the truths of scripture that will hold your hold your feet to the path because look what happens well, actually I won't read it again because we already did once but it says these things it says that when, that this path if you get on this path it leads you to a place of where, where you're unrepentant unrepentant you can come to a place I believe where you have 
you have uh, walked away from the Lord or, or, or just managed your Christian life in a lazy way to the point where the, where the adversary can begin to get a hold of your life and turn your attention to other things. It doesn't happen in a moment. It's not because you do something, you know, that's, it's not because you sin or do something like that that's going to all of a sudden cause these things to happen, but a pathway that you start to walk that leads you to a place that Jesus described as the, bapti- or the blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit. He said, every sin is forgivable. Every, even, the bla- even blaspheming against the Son of God is forgivable, not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So is it that God just says, okay, you know, everything I can forgive except that one, that just ticks me off too much. I'm not going to forgive you that one. No, that's not God. But here's what's happening. He, Jesus was confronting the powers of darkness and delivering people who were bound by demonic spirits. And the scribes and Pharisees were attributing what he was doing under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Blaspheming, against, or blasphemy, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Saying that's not the Holy Spirit, that's the devil. They were, they were shoving the Holy Spirit out of the picture. If you start down a path that's being described here, start down the path of this being described here, I believe that you can come to a point of such deception and such um, distraction that you can find yourself beginning to say no to the Holy Spirit, to sort of shove him out of the picture of your life. And dear ones, he is the one who convicts us of sin. That's what the Bible says is one of his jobs. If he's out of the picture of your life, there will be no conviction. Therefore, there's no repentance because you don't even feel like you need repentance. Nobody wants to get there. So let's don't. Let's don't go there. The other thing that he says here is that they become irreverent. They put Jesus to death again. Can you imagine Jesus, you are dead to me. A person arriving at that place. You know, there are some who interpret this passage as being purely hypothetical. Maybe. I hope so. But I don't want to be there. Jesus, you're dead to me. I don't want to get there. And certainly Unfruitful goes on and talks about how the this ground that soaks in the rain is supposed to produce fruit, but if it doesn't, it's cursed. I don't want to go there. And I'm so grateful that verse 9 says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Aren't you? Well, I'll ask it again. Aren't you happy for those words? But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. And I want to talk to you as we close today about the prescription. So what do we do if we find ourselves at the, at the threshold of this path none of us wants to walk that Paul describes begins with a laziness a lack of diligence about our pursuit of God. What do we do? Well, he says here, 
For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which, which you have shown toward his name. The diligence that we, we need to exercise in relationship to our, our Savior can only be motivated by one thing, love for him. If it's motivated out of fear, forget it. You'll do what I did about racquetball. You'll quit. If it's motivated out of guilt, forget it. Won't last. The only thing that will fuel a lifelong, diligent pursuit of Jesus is a love for him. Love will motivate our actions. And then it goes on to say, um, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, verse 11 of chapter 6, to the full assurance of hope unto the end. The only way that we can be people who pursue the way of diligence is that we have a love for Jesus that just trumps everything else in our life so that we cannot get enough of him. And that will motivate our pursuit of him. That will motivate our actions. But we also need to have a hope that captures our aspirations. We are people of hope. And the Bible's use of the word hope is not as though it's, well, I hope it happens. Sort of, it might not, but I hope it happens. It's a sure hope. It's like when I was a kid and my dad said, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland next week. I could count on that. And I began to hope about that. Not hope that I would go, because I knew I would go. But I would be hopeful. I would be anticipating. I would be excited about being there. And I could imagine myself. I could aspire to being at Disneyland. We have to let the Word of God begin to focus our aspirations. Our hopes can no longer be about what this world can provide. And then finally, he says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith to appropriate his promises. If we're going to be people who are diligent in our pursuit of him, that needs to be motivated by a passionate love for Jesus. Our hearts need to be captivated by the hopefulness of all he has in mind in store for us. And we will pursue him by faith because in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews it says that, and we'll get there (laughs) as we study this book, that without faith it's impossible to please God. And it also describes faith as being that which reaches into the realm of the unseen and brings into the realm of the seen the promises of God. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he said, you know, all this other stuff is great, but the things that really last, the things that really remain are what? Faith, hope, love. If we're going to be people of diligent pursuit of Jesus, those are words you need to get pretty familiar with. Love to motivate our actions. Hope to captivate our aspirations. And faith to appropriate His promises.